0: Welcome to the Dance Rants podcast. I'm Dylan Holly, a freelance artist and teacher with an urban dance background based in the Netherlands.
1: And I'm Hayden Idris, a classically trained dancer now working for the Dutch modern dance company Introdance. This podcast is a platform to create discussion about dance and to learn and gain insight from our guests. We hope you enjoy.
0: Today we have Eric Boss joining us. He's a creator and founding member of 155, a Dutch urban theatre group. They were the winners of the Dutch Dance Festival's Young Audience Award back in 2018. They're a group I have a lot of respect for, for their personal and varied approach to dance and theatre. Thank you for coming on today, Eric. Really thrilled to have you ever since working with you in the good old days in Fontys. It's been a nice, um, I guess, yeah, friendship to keep keep in touch with. Um, Would you care to tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah.
2: I I think first we have to talk about how we met. We did an exercise which we named the the guilty pleasure solos so everyone had to pick a song that were was their guilty pleasure and then dance to it the rule was you you could not prepare anything and you couldn't It sounds weird but you couldn't be too technical so it was really just letting go of everything and you had to do the whole song so some people they had a six minute song and they were just losing my favorite game. They were just screaming and dancing. And then Dylan chose the Pokemon song. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I know your style a little bit, and it's definitely not split jumps, but <laughs> there were this massive amount of split jumps. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was really good. So yeah,
0: I- I remember that. I have no idea where that came from. Suddenly it was a little bit um balletic. Although I do not have splits, so they were anything but split jumps. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, but it's, it's it is funny how things come out when you try to really let let go of all your techniques. Sometimes these exercises they're harder for dancers or trained people than they are for your grandma who doesn't care about anything anymore or your little nephew who doesn't know yet that people judge <laughs> and laugh mm. and point fingers. So it's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I had to tell you about who I am. My name is Eric, I'm 33, I think. Um, I live in Rotterdam, have lived here on and off for the past 15 years, went to dance academy here, Kodaks. But I started dancing almost 20 years ago um, with a group called One Five Five, which is kind of turned into our own company, and w- actually we just heard that we're receiving gemeente. What's that in English? Um, city, city funding.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Great. Uh, oh, nice. Coming four years, if everything turns out well. Um, so that's that's really great. So we, yeah, we've kind of worked ourselves up from a bunch of guys with fans sagging off our ass dancing on the local market into uh, a proper institution of dance
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no so we're um so that's yeah that's kind of what I did and then next to the company that we have I sometimes teach or choreograph at Fontys uh, or for other groups I also like to do dance for not dancers or. For or people who are more in theater or in mime which I think is really cool also because I found out that there's not I mean there is I just don't know them but there's not that many dancers which have kind of this specific skill set that I can work with I mean when you when you go to a company like NDT they're super super versatile but then even if they can do almost everything there's still a lot of things and it also has to do with a certain carrying yourself and a certain weird sense of humor and a certain knowledge of this mass media world that we live in now that that really triggers me and and uh, and with that group. So we've been with the same guys already for 20 years. So we know each other really well. We're yeah, childhood friends. One of them is my brother. <laughs> and it's with those guys that we can really make together what we want to make which I think would be quite difficult if you just randomly arrive at an amazing dance company in a place you don't know. And then, okay, you have three weeks to make a piece. (laughs) Go. Is that
1: because um, it's like a real collaborative effort between the group of guys that you're all having creative input? Yeah,
2: no. Yeah, it is. But then also it's not always super democratic. So, It's a collaborative effort, but everyone has their own specialism. As in, I am still the choreographer, even if everyone comes up with material, with steps, also with ideas, with the name of the piece, with the theme of the piece, but the actual who does which steps where and and how do we build a structure in the piece? That's my job. So to, to be able to make that work, and have a collaborative effort that's really difficult and that's actually even more important to know each other super well in that way because people also know not to come with certain ideas or with certain <laughs> material because they're like well we, we can't do anything with it if the whole piece is is colored blue and you come up with a piece of pink material it's like yeah it's great but put it in a fridge and we'll use it in, in our pink piece next year so yeah,
0: do you want to talk a bit about the other specialties that the guys have in the group? Because I know that yeah. like each of you did a, like a diff- completely different study, and you all bring this together, and it's kind of part of what makes one five five, one five
2: five, right? Yeah, that's that's very true. I'm the only only trained dancer in the group,
0: <laughs> a- academically. <laughs> Academ- yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. No, but I I say it like that because that's what what people think and say when they see resumes you're like oh you're actually the only dancer it's like no that's (laughs) That's so bad complete bullshit but um but yeah i'm the only one who went to a school of dance then let's see my brother he's a video designer by trade he went to art school in utrecht Uh, ryan is an animator and he does all the fonts and the posters and those things Sam is a sound designer and he's also moving into music and then there's a lot of people around us that one's a music producer, uh, another one is a set designer and builder, one of them works at Google, so whenever we can find something we call him and then he Googles it for us, <laughs> No, he actually works in, in marketing but for Google, so with us he writes our Marketing strategies does someone like that
1: have a big input in like what you guys make So like when you guys make the videos and stuff does he also have creative input into it? Um,
2: let's say there's there's like the hardcore group, which is six people and then around that there are the people because the Google guy lives in London For example, so it's quite hard for him to have day-to-day input but then when we think of the bigger picture then these people Uh, try to always be there because we yeah we received this big grant now which is super great but we started thinking about what those four years that are coming should look like we started thinking about that more than two years ago it's not okay we'll just make another piece and then another piece and then another piece but we all got together and said okay what is 155 just a group that make makes dance pieces or theater pieces of course there there's a lot of marketing nowadays there needs to be because there's so much stuff and most of it is online and free which is very weird so then should that component of image and video online should then shouldn't that just be a part of our four-year plan shouldn't that be a part of 155 so every year we're going to make a short film Um, and every year we're going to have an HDD which is the old name for hard drive, but for us, it stands for Harder Digitale dingen, which is like, uh, cool digital stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so people are going to experiment with, with not from a marketing or publicity perspective, but from an artistic perspective, what can we do mm. in the digital world except for making videos? And then those things they become a really a part of 155 and it's not just the dance pieces anymore because it's super hard to to find your audience nowadays especially because we try to be a company that's not just local and it's not just festivals when you go to a festival there is an audience already but we really try to tour around the country get to the north get to the east get to the south and just to to reach those people there everyone in holland knows the van tegenwoordig and other big names usually in music but for people to know you as a dance group it's super hard because yeah. dance is not really part of dutch culture anymore
1: yeah well, i think general western culture it's really sort of irrelevant and that's actually really interesting why what you guys are doing that you're incorporating all these different artistic disciplines i guess to also reach more people
2: yeah yeah we, we try to and uh It's also we we, we get it very wrong sometimes, (laughs) which is fine. And it's still, yeah, it's it's a super big subject, but I'm still trying to figure out how big we should be in a sense that only if you're this huge (laughs) Drake-like figure, then you can go anywhere and do anything and reach a lot of people. But it also necessitates you creating this image that's not necessarily you that doesn't have a lot of nuance that maybe doesn't have a lot of sense of humor that's becomes quite pretentious so it like yes we are a group of fans that turned into a dance group and that's like an image as well but then do you spend your time trying to make that bigger and make that like an easy an easy trump story for everyone to understand and or do you actually spend time making artistic stuff and also giving space to the nuance of, okay, this guy actually left the group because he's not happy with how we were doing things. And you know, do you, do you, do you become a fake, <laughs> a fake, easy to understand marketing machine? Or do you allow things to be messy and to be chaotic and to take time and to it's quite complicated? Because there's a big gray area in between those two, of course.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate 155's work for the fact that you guys just make what you want to make. I think that's what I've always enjoyed when I come to see it is that it's honest, it's, like, authentic, it's really, it has personality because it really comes from your guys, like you said, sense of humor and, like, your cross of creativity. I don't think art should ever really... That you should be trying to please people. But it's tough, of course, because when you're stuck as dancers in this side of society or the small pocket of society where we can't really reach a lot of people, we're trying to make this a successful business or something. So you're trying to think of how to get to another market. But I think if you even if you do manage to do that but you have to like sacrifice everything you enjoy doing then why didn't you just go and become an accountant like <laughs>
2: yeah that's, that's very true and but there's also this difference between the, the Steve Jobs dude he always said like he, you don't have to give people what they want you know what people want they don't so you invent something else that they don't know exists yet and they're going to want it and pay ridiculous amounts of money for it but still that's still a marketing way of thinking about things and that's what you said that's now that's not what you want to do but then there's this balance between actually giving yourself the space to make things mm. that you want to make and for that i mean i got into this business to dance and to make stuff but i spent especially the last 2 months i just spent behind my computer video calling with our co-producer for the next piece, if we can still make it happen or if we're, we're going to have the movie here with all the people that subsidized us saying like, okay, this is what happened. We want to do it different. We want to use the money for this. And being in all these like crisis overleggruppen. Okay. <laughs> um And it's, yeah, what, what's, what's the balance between actually running a business and creating space for yourself and for the guys to create stuff And actually just going out and doing it. I mean, it's a a very specific period, of course, but we all go, like all the guys in the group and the girls, we go through these ups and downs of, okay, let's do it. We found a way to still make the piece happen this fall and we'll do this and that. And then the next day shit happens and the co-producer said we can't do it anymore. So then everybody's down. Like everyone has their own process of being annoyed and just wanting to go out and dance a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and these other moments of fire where you do think okay we can make it happen we can because there's a difference between just between just dancing around and actually getting a production going so that a lot of people will see it because it's also what we find important that if you make something great that it's not okay we'll have two shows in the local theater now we really want to make it, as many people as possible see it
1: That's something I was wondering is, like, when you're putting on a new production, how much time is spent in the studio versus just getting everything organized? And do you find it hard to to strike that balance between working on the craft in the studio and you as a mover and as a dancer and doing all the administrative stuff?
2: Well, the past year we've we've moved from really doing everything non-creative also with the creative people to working together with uh, it's two girls. It's Yule and Marjolaine, and they uh, they do the business and the production side of things. And they're not old business ladies that we don't know or super commercial people. They're also they also come from dance, but also studied other things and are just super interested in the production and the business aspect of it. So they became a part of One Five Five, and then. Because we always found it important, for example, there's a friend of mine and she's a, um, well, she does more mime stuff, but then she's, she just goes to a big production company and she says, this is my idea, fix everything. (laughs) So she only focuses on what happens on stage. And maybe she tells the photographer for the, for the poster, I'd like this one and not the other one. But apart from that, she's just focused on the work on stage, but then it's so hard her to reach audiences because she's every time in a different production company and the posters don't match the work that she does and then this marketing agency writes a text for the piece that doesn't actually make a lot of sense with so we try to do everything ourselves and it actually helped build the group and reach audience and and actually create a fan base and reach partners that really understand us but it does drain you. So now we hopefully found this middle way where we don't just hire expensive people to do it, but it's people that are really in the group, but their specialism is business and production. Um, But they still have what we always call the 155 feeling. So they they don't just say, okay, we have 20 new gigs coming. They said, no, we had 20 gig offers and seven of them don't make sense. Because it doesn't fit one, five, five. We can't be who we are over there, so we're not going to do them. So it's nice to 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 work together in another way now with people that are maybe not um, the creatives, let's say it
0: this whole kind of trying to reach to a bigger audience, like I put this down to just the way society is these days. Um, like <laughs> I was looking at the petition to defend the funding, you know, the way in Brabant, they're cutting the funding now. Yeah. And I checked the amount of signatures on the petition a, a few weeks ago, and there was like more signatures for people to get like hydrochloroquine, this thing that, um, this drug, There's more <laughs> yeah. signatures on the petition for that than there was to like defend the arts. But there's yeah. like more people who in the Netherlands believe in kind of like the stuff that Trump is spewing out than there is people who are interested in protecting the arts. Yeah, I don't know, what's your take on this with the Netherlands? Like, is this something that we actually can be doing? Like, is it our duty to do it? Do we just need to turtle through?
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting question, but because on one side, we should try to reach as many people as we can with our stuff, with our art, and not compromise on what we do, but try to find handles for people to grab onto to understand what you're doing because I've seen pieces made where I thought I can really appreciate this because I've been dancing my whole life and because I know who Isadore Duncan is <laughs> because I know who Martha Gray like there's all this luggage that some people have dance luggage or art luggage or intellectual luggage and we always try to make stuff that you don't need any luggage for for example we we worked a little bit with Or a little bit for two months with two pansula dancers from south africa um people in holland have no idea what pansula is but they do know who beyonce is and she actually used pansula dancers in i think two of her videos so then when they come to see that specific part of what we do on stage they'll have this handle to grab onto and say hey i recognize the speed of the steps and the way they move their arms and so they don't need specific luggage, except for being alive now and looking around. <laughs> and that's kind of how we try to do it. But then on the other hand, I've had conversations with people that say that there's such a focus on trying to get as many people as possible into the audience and things that don't reach a lot of people shouldn't receive funding. but. That's, of course, also not true, because there's a lot of things that just need to be made. And then it can still if it can change the minds and the hearts of a couple of people, that's fine. That's enough. Like not everything needs to be a big Broadway success story. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what it what it should be. Um, Yeah, I guess it's the balance of the two.
0: Yeah I want to believe that it actually kind of needs to be a bit of a top-down change kind of the way all the changes that are happening in the world at the moment that like arts needs to become respected from the top rather than it just being this thing where we need to filter up through the pyramid where you have to get like really popular and then like do this capitalist climb to the top yeah because arguably that's what stamps out artistry capitalism so yeah I don't know I want to believe that we can get to a point where society starts to understand the benefit of art again that this can eventually encourage more funding to be there rather than it being a dogfight for who gets the most public you should get the money and
2: yeah yeah and and I think also because I remember when I lived in Amsterdam I did live in a squat and there was this whole alternative scene alternative culture that didn't rely on capitalist means to survive or to become famous but they also they weren't subsidized or funded from the top they lived in this kind of parallel universe where the state didn't really care what happened to this patch of land to this building to this kind of free trade outside city outside taxes world but now everything gets so commercialized so finding an alternative path of saying okay I don't want to spend my life asking for a lot of grants and actually trying to make the people who give these grants happy with writing plans, with reaching as many people as possible with, with actually being part of the the kind of buzzwords that are now. So we're super lucky that what we do is called urban, but if it wasn't, we wouldn't have gotten funding. So if you're part, if you're part of what's hip and happening right now, then, you're part of who gets money and if you're not, you're not. But there's no more space. I and I have the feeling 10 or 15 years ago, there was that space of actually finding an alternative way of okay, if you can find a cheap place to live, if you can find secondhand stuff to build a studio off, if you find free means of communication with people to manage shows, then then that's also possible. And I also have the feeling those possibilities are getting more and more cut down. So it's either super commercialized or subsidized with all the rules and protocols that come with that. But this kind of anarchist third option, I'm not using the word in the right way, but that space that's not there anymore, that wiggle room.
1: Yeah, which maybe makes it hard also for like young or new creators, people who are interested in getting started to just start experimenting.
2: Yeah definitely. I mean the reason I could put all my time in in trying to get 155 going is because I've always lived in ridiculously cheap places and often with a lot of space. We 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 didn't have money to uh store our sets in between pieces because we only got project subsidy. So you do one piece and you get money for that and then later you do another and then in between you get no money, you just work for free. But we could just store all the stuff in my house, in my football club, and we've 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 even made pieces there. There's just a big floor. We just got some cheap fake wood floor from someone who threw it away. We put we put it down. We put a lot of broken mirrors and kind of made a mirror side, and then we just made a piece. And that wasn't a piece that toured around the country and that reached ten thousands of people, but that is the little experiment and the little thing you try out in between that actually builds for the next thing. And yeah, that's, it's, it's true for, for the people who are just starting out now, should they immediately ask for funding? But if you ask for funding, then you should know what you want to do. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the whole thing. There's so many things you find out in the studio. We we hire a writer now, or sometimes a lot of money, to write these plans for us that asks us the right questions but also she knows what the subsidy givers want to hear mm. so she'll translate all the feelings that we have that we ourselves don't understand yet into words that the big the big people understand but yeah so we we save up money from a piece and then after that we give that money to a writer to help us get money for the next piece. But then how are you supposed to start out in that if there's no reserve anywhere? So it is very difficult, yeah. Yeah.
0: Someone's honking. (laughs) Yeah. How's the motorbike doing these days?
2: It's good, I, I have a new one. I had two bikes and I sold both of them and then use the money for this one, which is like an old BMW. And I spend a lot of time trying to make it more off-road worthy. So I'm working on uh, getting better suspension now in the front and getting more power from the engine and all this non-dance related stuff. (laughs) And it does really help me to, to keep sane in these times as well. Because like we train outside and sometimes at the place where we store our sets and then i spend a lot of time just video calling but then when i when i get tired of being busy with things that might not happen i just ride my motorbike or just wrench around on it trying to make it better it's a good it's a good distraction
0: while we're on the topic of motorbikes what was the inspiration for the lear project this video project you guys did what two years ago it's like a theater and dance video thing you guys shot in Rotterdam, right? Yeah. So like, does this is this something personal? Because it's quite like a, like it's quite it feels like a fictional story that's inspired by something.
2: Um, it was actually written by my brother, and I I think it is part of inspired by, of course, us, but it's also very, we're big fans of Dutch humor. And there's this show called Yeskovet, which I think it was in the '90s, and they just had sketch after sketch after sketch. And it's this weird, yeah, I, it, it's not really explainable. But
0: these are the guys who made the English sport
2: thing, right? Yeah, they. Yeah, I sent you that one. It's these guys. So so there's there's <laughs> a kind of seriousness to it, but also it's completely ridiculous. And and I guess that's what we always try to do. We try to take things that are very serious and try to take them very light or make fun of them um, even if they're part of our own troubles and things that are very ridiculous we try to take them very serious so also in that film you just have a bunch of guys in leather outfits with helmets singing
1: this this comical element of the work that you guys do is it something that that you do like really consciously and that you have a certain approach to it or is it just come through your playfulness as individuals
2: it it comes through our playfulness and and our our inspiration so we're inspired of course by breaking and by like the amazing progress that people make in terms of movement and then we're inspired by this physical comedy and kind of the buster keaton era and these stuff and and also lately we're, we're getting more and more into the performance artists but then combined with All that seriousness and kind of profoundness there's also this Dutch sense of humor bizarre humor like bizarre humor yeah we we like that and it is I mean it's a conscious part of what we do of course but it's also just a big part of who we are we're just always messing around
1: is it difficult to incorporate it when you get so into a process of trying to trying to realize a concept
2: you mean to incor- incorporate humor in it?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: No, it actually, we, it's the other way around. I think we have more difficulty trying to, <laughs> trying to get depth in it because we're always scared of, of coming across as pretentious. And maybe now when I'm talking, I make bold statements about what art should be and shouldn't be. But on stage, especially in dance, it's quite hard for us to really have this profoundness and to really make a statement about what is important or beautiful or painful or so it's super easy to just mess around and make jokes and say oh what if we have this really serious guy who actually dreams of being a motorcycle and then that of course turns into a big joke with a guy having a monologue about that he drank some engine oil and that Sometimes it just stands in the garage for the whole night. It's just so much easier for us to uh, to not take things serious than it is to to see. Okay, can we find a layer that is true and authentic, but still serious, or not making fun of the subject matter?
0: The Lear project is definitely a flip to that, though, because that feels quite mm-hmm. serious up until the singing. <laughs> <laughs> up until the singing. <laughs> like you have you have i guess that segue where the three of you are sliding on the pavement yeah how is how did you guys do that actually are you doing it with wire or is it a green yeah. screen
2: no it's a it's a steel cable we all three of us have steel cable around our leather suits and then the cameraman's assistant who i think didn't have his driver's license at that time he just he <laughs> drove the car with like this big iron pipe behind it with the three wires attached to it so we would just Lay on the pavement, and then it would be like action. No, <laughs> actually, in the real world, nobody says action. <laughs> but, and then you would just feel this tug on your like uh, center, and you couldn't breathe. You were just like <laughs> just being dragged for what felt like minutes, but was actually less than ten seconds. And then one of the, one of the guys, he uh, he tried to get rid of them get rid of the metal wire in, uh, in post.
0: Yeah, no, it works really well. Uh, but yeah, up until, up until that point, it feels very serious. And once you guys get up and then like the more bikers show up and people are doing wheelies around you and stuff, then it <laughs> becomes a bit bizarre. And then with the singing, is just very funny.
2: Yeah, No, it is. And, and the funny thing is now, when I look at it again, I think it's, what is it? Two years ago that we were, that we made it. It's the beginning part. That's actually a lot stronger than the end because in the end it becomes a bit messy and also because it's just light and day it kind of loses some of the atmosphere that it has in the beginning of the film so the serious part of a guy burning his life and driving away from it all (laughs) is actually better than the than the voguing wheelie singing part yeah, I, yeah it, it's just how Thomas envisioned it and, and, and wrote it. And some people really, someone said it was our best work ever because <laughs> I guess there was a guy who just likes that seriousness more than the jokes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like I find 155 really refreshing because you guys aren't trying to like, be taken seriously like you are taking you're taking what you do seriously because you're dedicating yourself to it but you're not like you you guys are very alive as a company you're alive and you want to make things that you enjoy doing and that's what i connect to and that's refreshing because the majority of people in theater are jumping through the hoops of either their funders or whatever and it can sometimes just be contrived or it can just feel too far off in some other
2: space well it's quite I don't want to say easy, but it's easy to think that you have to be serious, and it has to have like mm-hmm. serious substance for it to matter to people. But something can be very funny. There's what's this guy's name? Who who he does all the roasts? Yeah, okay. Jeff Ross. Um, yes. He's a comedian and he's very good at roasting people, so actually making fun of people. But then he gets asked a lot to do funerals so let's say the most serious moment of someone's life when they've passed away and and people come to say goodbye and to, and to grieve that's when they ask someone who's just good at making fun of things so that kind of gives me hope that even though you're making fun of things and and laughing around and and not going into the seriousness and graveness of it all you can it, it can still have sense you can still make a point yeah
1: that's something I think I can relate to that because this idea that you need to be serious to have substance is I think something that also stops you maybe pursuing an idea that you might have hmm. so what is the process for you then when you guys have something an idea that might seem ridiculous like how do you then motivate or inspire yourself to pursue that
2: and make something of it Mm -hmm. well we have this very very open way of working that that when there's an idea we just go for it and then actually i'm in charge of cutting people down (laughs) so people are just creating their solos or their videos or their stuff or have ideas and throw them out there and then at a certain moment when i feel okay it's definitely gonna work so we'll put all our effort into it or it's not going to work. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to (laughs) cut it. So there's just a big freedom of, of not being constrained by will it fit in the piece? Will it make sense? Is it not going to be too simple? Um, People just really go for what they feel. So if they want to make like a sex scene with their motorbike, then we just go for it. And then later, so in and in itself, just to have seven motorbikes on stage and seven guys dry humping the motorbikes, it's a bit bland. But then one of the guy, guys came up with this video where he, he combined all these sexual movements of mechanical equipment. So pistons moving in and out of cylinders and just like sweeping, sweeping curvy female lines of motorbikes with asmr so these people who like to listen um i think it's it's sound right asmr or yeah. video there's a lot of asmr videos but i think it's about the sound um of people that like the sound of leather <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just became <laughs> a very weird satisfying mix on stage and then and then then it works then it's not too it wasn't the edge but it's not too flat or easy or how we say court to the board. so then it does work and then sometimes you come up with also an idea like that and then there's not something you can add on or there's not something you can dig out there's no deeper layer there is no second meaning and then it says, well maybe this is too simple so we should throw it away
1: but it's a it's always an open discussion between all of you to figure out if you can make it work and then you're in charge of sort of deciding yes or no.
2: Yeah. And the the only reason that I make decisions is because of time. So it's not, it's not even that I'm better at deciding these things, but I have, let's say the biggest overview. Okay, we have this many weeks to make this many minutes. It's the most unartistic thing in the world, but okay, we're going to make, make an hour piece in 35 days. And then that's the framework there is. And then everyone can go crazy with those ideas. But then. Um,
1: and does that apply also to when you when you decide as a group that you're going to pursue a concept to create a project or is it only for like the actual process?
2: No, we, we do decide those bigger. So deciding on that framework, we do it together okay. or deciding to conform to a framework. So if you want to perform in theaters, you need at least an hour. And in terms of money, you only have this many weeks to rehearse. And then we can say, okay, we can do this or we can't. The costume designer, we have this, we have ideas we have, so we can do it. Or there's not enough time to actually make something good within this framework. And this is something that really gets pressurized now in these times, because there's not that many actual seats in the theater Mm -hmm. now because of, of the, of the distance stuff. So now, theaters they want a piece that's actually half as cheap for them (laughs) to buy or even cheaper but they still want it the same length they still want an hour and now we're really struggling with can we make something that's that's good and that's long enough because initially we thought well we'll just cut it in half we'll just make half a piece then people buy tickets for a little bit less and then we can do it twice in an evening and they can get twice as many people in So instead of buying an hour piece for 15 euro as a visitor, you pay 10 euros and you see 35 minutes. But then that's quite complicated for theaters with getting people in and out and and also with people wanting a night out and not half a night out. (laughs) It's also if you go to see a film, you don't want to see a half hour film, then you want to see two half hour films. So it's 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 not as easy as we thought. So we're really struggling with that right now.
1: Have you felt felt pressure during the quarantine period to be productive with, with your work with
2: 155? Well, actually, we've been prevented from being productive because we're not allowed to rehearse. We're not allowed to perform. Mm. We were not even allowed to meet. So in that way, no. But now we, we've really come to the point where we just want to, work and make because you go crazy but you also get out of physical shape but also out of let's say creative shape I mean if I just if I spend another half year working on my motorbike <laughs> how, how will I get back into the the grind of uh, really making stuff it's complicated so we're really gotten to the point that okay we'll make it work we'll figure out the way to make 50 minutes for A very low amount of money because also we have to live (laughs) Um, but we'll somehow make it work we'll just throw everything at it because we just want to work and dance and perform again at least this fall
0: dance really needs a union because all these situations just fall on top of the dancers and it's just like well we need we need it to be cheaper so we need to give you less money but we still want the same amount of work and it's just like that happened in any other field The union would step in, but in dance, if you say no, then just hire someone else.
2: Yeah, that is true. I mean, in this situation, because I've been at some of the meetings where there's the producers and the theaters and the companies and everyone's with their back to the wall. So they've kind of tried to make, okay. so the so the theater is going to make less money as they usually do because they have less people and the producers they're gonna have to do more shows to make the same amount of money and also the companies they're gonna have to do longer shows or this the same length shows for less people so less so everyone's kind of messed up here but in general i think that you're right which is also gonna create a problem of if let's say dancers get paid twice, twice as much as they do now which would be a good thing then there would also be twice as little demand for dancers because they can't afford the same amount of dancers anymore so it's it's gonna create a situation where there's too many schools churning out too many dancers for not enough jobs yeah
0: yeah no there's no quick fix but just yeah. when I hear these things that it's just like someone's like, well, you just have to do the same thing for less money. Yeah. It's not that you put your foot down and, and pretend that there isn't a crisis going on, but like somewhere up the ladder, someone's fine. But it always, it's just the way society works is that you kick the problem down
2: the ladder. That is true. That is true. There's still the directors of the big, big institutions that work very, very hard and try to listen to as many people as possible but they are still number one on the paycheck. <laughs> so yeah. everyone gets less and everyone gets fired and only all the way in the end it arrives to them.
0: Yeah, but I but I even mean like if the theatres, like where their costs are going up and their income is going down or whatever, is like then check what rent they have to pay, check how theatres are taxed, like look at governmental things to give tax breaks to artists and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would make sense. and And also still to to have this alternative way of doing things that are not in the capitalist system of i mean even one of the more successful theaters now it's in gouda and they had to become they were kind of forced to become more commercial so they make a lot of the money uh, they make themselves it's not true government subsidies but now in this situation they get hit a lot harder than the more art focus theaters yeah also forcing people in this capitalist way of holding up your own pants as we say in Holland yeah it's it's quite difficult
0: (laughs) (laughs) that saying doesn't work as well in English like in English we say holding yourself up by your bootstraps like by your shoelaces because it's like physically impossible but in the Netherlands is like Mm. holding up your own pants it's like kind of should hold up your
2: pants (laughs) yeah so you don't you don't have a a belt or suspenders it's just ah, you, okay. doing it yourself there's there's not anyone anyone or anything doing it for you i think that's where it comes from and i also think it comes from this fundamental thing that's in all of us that we just want everything all the time so to not say okay i I really love dance and art, so that's what I spend my money on, and that's where I volunteer in, and like as an audience member. Um, But people want to and see dance, and see as much as possible, but they also want it in a clean theater with a beautiful restaurant. Because it looks like we can have everything all the time. We can have children and money, and time, and a good job, and a girlfriend, and six other girlfriends. Like, it does, just doesn't work like that. Um, I think if we kind of go back to just wanting a little bit less, and then maybe going a little bit deeper in that one thing that we really want. As an example, I just love traveling. So that's what I do. And I don't also have a house and a dog and a normal job. And, you know, it's, It is quite inspiring to see some of the people in the motorcycle community. They're just happy with that's what they do. Like there's one guy, he works at a motorcycle shop, I think five days a week from Tuesday till Saturday. And then on Sunday, he is in the board of directors of the local motorcycle club and makes sure all of us can ride around on this trial thing. And then on Monday, his only free day, he goes to the motorcycle shop and works on his own stuff. And then people like me can also come and work on their own stuff. And so okay. his life is just motorcycles. That's what he does. He doesn't also want six children and a dog and a lot of money and a big house in the middle of Amsterdam. Right? like I live in a small town in a small house with a girlfriend that's also completely in the motorcycles. And that's what I do. That's my, I, don't, I don't need a big Instagram following. <laughs> It is quite inspiring to see. Because in our scene, in like the freelance scene, and also with people of our generation, we, well, not when we were young, but as soon as the internet came along, and especially smartphones came along, you can just see everyone having everything all the time, (laughs) which makes you a bit greedy. And also makes you think that it's possible to have everything all the time and not make the people around you unhappy or yourself unhappy or make the earth melt away at the same time. Yeah. Um, But it is also partly what you said, Dylan, it is also partly a top down thing where there there needs to be the government that says we can't go, we can't keep going on in this way. We're going to have to prevent you from melting the earth away because people can only think short term. We, with this subsidy thing we had to think five years ahead I've never done that before <laughs> and then there are people from our parents generations they they, they had a little bit more of this uh, the seth of realizing that okay I'm young and strong now but in 30 years I won't be so I'll also work on building up a pension and paying the mortgage on my house so I actually own the house And these things and that realization is not so much there in our generation and it's also i think the the fault of all the commercials and all the stuff that gets put upon us it's all you can buy this now and pay later
1: yeah (laughs) that
2: you should save up for a long time and then buy the good thing that'll last forever it's all you normally this costs a lot of money because but because it's made by children's hands shipped on a boat in a river of blood you can you can buy it for two euros and it only lasts a year and then it'll be broken but you'll have it now and if you can't afford it you can just get a loan and pay for it later after it already broke it's kind of a ridiculous (laughs) system i think
1: yeah it's
0: pretty awful
2: yeah because i have time now i try to buy everything second hand and it's so annoying i could just I could just go like there's a specific tool I need, and I could just go online and get it from China for like four euros. But I've been to six shops now, six secondhand shops, and they have it nowhere. <laughs> so now I'm gonna try to market on Saturday and see if they have it. And and if that doesn't work, I'll give up. I'll just I'll just have it made by children's hands. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, but back to dance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had planned I planned to ask you something a while ago, but we um, we went on an interesting route, but I guess like you said a while ago that urban is a hype word now or it's like a it's yeah. it's a buzzword. It's yeah, it's a buzzword, yeah. Yeah, what's your like viewpoints of urban theater as one of the I like in my opinion one of the few people in the Netherlands who's really making an honest go at it like there's some other people who do urban theater but I I don't know it doesn't doesn't get there for me
2: yeah well I mean it's, it's also just a matter of taste and choice of course so for us we come from a background of breaking but then we started using those movements and those movement concepts to talk about other things than the culture of breaking um, because we're maybe partly in it we go training at the place where the people who join the competitions go training and sometimes we go see competition. But the last time as a group, we did a battle is about 15 years ago, (laughs) maybe 10. So we're always, but that's our thing with everything. We're always half into a certain culture or subculture or movement style. And so for us, we don't feel qualified to talk about some of the parts of the culture that other people do talk about. And in part, we're not qualified to do it, but it's, in part, it's also not what we're interested in because it's not us. If you don't spend your life going to battles and training every day and, and just being in that lifestyle, then why pretend to be that on stage and use it? And But then I do think that for an audience that's also not in the culture, And that is our audience, our audience is part dancer, part old people, but a big part is just people who are studying that maybe don't like dance or used to dance a little bit, but they're just alive now, watching TV, going out drinking and clubbing and seeing friends. They just have like the most normal lifestyle you can imagine. And our inspiration also comes from that. So yeah it's just not really what we're busy with i guess um that's the thing then you get back to this whole thing what is urban because as i understand it, in the beginning it was is it was a word that policymakers invented to describe all the non-institutional dance firms that they didn't understand mm-hmm. but then for some people urban is the same as hip-hop and yeah it's so it's it's just kind of a word to describe everything that you don't understand <laughs> there's this big uh, sign like neon sign on a building close to here that says ad meeste menses and andere mensen which is like most people are other people so it's it's always going to be like that there's there's a lot of things that you don't understand but then to invent one word for it to describe all of those things that you don't understand it's also doing it a bit short
0: yeah well urban is just like a living area it just means like city basically yeah which just kind of covers everything
2: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) you have urban dance and then you have rural dance you have farm dance scottish highland dance doesn't make a lot of sense but yeah i mean it's weird does urban also mean um does it mean hip-hop not really does it mean from a non, which is, I'm I'm not agreeing with this, but does it mean that it's from a non-Dutch culture? Does it mean if you're urban, if are you only urban if you didn't go to college and you're super white and you earn a lot of money? It's just, there's so many different interpretations of it. But I think it will diversify a little bit also because the people that are inventing the words now, they're getting younger and younger. And also culturally a little bit more diverse, and they'll have a bit more understanding of all the different nuances there are. Because for a lot of people, there's also no difference between contemporary dance and classical dance. Mm-hmm. It's just people with not a lot of clothing uh, that are moving around without a purpose. And then half of them are rolling on the floor and the other half of them, they're just on their toes all the time. But that's a subtle difference. Fair.
0: Yeah, like the urban thing is tricky because especially like with the whole Black Lives Matter movement going on, most urban dance is effectively black culture. A lot of it is an amalgamation of dance styles inside of black communities in America. And like there's a huge debate to have about about this or discussion. Like I think the word urban doesn't really do things justice, but because we need to have a label to be able to talk about things in general, so we kind of have a general direction. We use urban for anything that is kind of hip hop, break, popping, like of the, this kind of movement family it can also be whacking. It can be house. It's just anything that isn't contemporary ballet
2: or folk. Yeah. But it's also, it also means that, that this word is invented from the perspective of people that only know contemporary ballet or folk.
0: Yeah, well, totally. I'm pretty sure yeah. like urban was used academically because they didn't want to say that they were teaching hip hop. And yeah. academies didn't want to be a hip hop academy because there was still such a bad image or view of hip hop inside of the academic
2: sectors yeah, that yeah, they needed to. It's very weird. I mean, what,
0: to snob it up a bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, what we love about urban, or more specifically hip hop, different styles of that, but very much breaking, and that for us it really transcends the background that it came from. Mm. So it incorporates all the good things but it's so open in allowing everyone in Mm. so it's not how more western dance styles were only for rich people but it's also not only for poor people it's really for everyone and there's this i mean it's also slowly trying slowly kind of going like when i started training in hip hop ice which was what i guess 10 15 years ago Everyone that would come in would shake everyone's hand. I still do it, I still make the round, I still give everyone a fist. Yeah. And then yeah. people I don't know, I introduce myself to. So there's no there's no hierarchy, there's no old boys network. There's no if you're not part of this group, then you're not in. And because it's it's a kind of a bottom-up thing, like it didn't start from money or from status or from we want this kind of dance to entertain the courts, but really from people who just started moving and then it became a subculture and then it became part of a cult. And so, yeah, we really, or I really love that welcoming atmosphere of everyone also teaching each other all the time. And it's you deciding what you want to learn from who. I still remember we were training in Hippopies, I guess it was like a year ago, and then I think Red Bull BC1 world champion was even there and like guys that won big international crew battles, like really, really top guys. But there's also one guy who didn't even have training clothes on and still had his keys in his pocket and he was just in the corner and I, you could kind of see that either it was his first time. Like he'd just been practicing and it's not like he was six years old, like he was in his 20s. Like he was just, he'd just been practicing in his house, watching videos, doing things, or maybe he'd gone through something and really tried to get himself back amongst people. And so he was just in the corner trying to, trying to make it happen, trying to get himself to go into the circle and try a thing. And people kind of noticed it. And also that he looked a little bit weird and a little bit nervous, but nobody laughed at him. Just not ignoring, just, okay, he's there going through his own process. And then the world champion is there in the corner, trying out his next move to win his next world championship. Um, And then the moment he actually went and did something that was very bad (laughs) and almost hurt himself and the keys fell out of his pocket, then people did applaud him afterwards. So he just made this, he made his own step tonight with going and trying something for the first, whatever his story was. I'm inventing stories now, of course. You never know somebody's life. But And then when the world champion who can do, let's say I'm inventing something, 19 air flares and then for the first time he does 20, then people also plowed him because he made his step. He went from 19 to 20. And the other guy went from zero to a half. (laughs) And that's I think that's super. You don't see that in a lot of places. Even in dance academies where there's just young people trying to make it there's sometimes even teachers trying to start this idea of having to be better than other people and having to make it and having to and it's too bad that it happens Mm.
1: yeah i'm also i think starting to realize more and more the importance of these kind of open exchanges and removing judgment from these kind of situations so that everybody's free to just exchange and grow from these Mm. experiences and I think it's nice, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in Arnhem as a contemporary dancer for intro dance and you're an urban background dancer who's creating for like urban work for theatres to exist in theatres. And I think it's nice that we transcend those labels of us as movers and we're just movers and we're having this dialogue about what that means and what we can make given our respective backgrounds.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And I think I think there's also a lot to I mean, what we struggled with as a company and what I really learned in Dance Academy is this discipline and doing the same thing every day and slowly getting better at it, but in a in a controlled class situation. So for about 15 years, is it true? No, for about 10 years, we've done the same warm up every day altogether. And I I just invented a warm up 10 years ago when we started making our own production and we still do almost exactly the same thing. And in the beginning, people were always late. People went to the bathroom, people went to get a coffee, people were talking, people weren't doing things, people were sulking. Um, And now everyone is doing it usually in silence with really loud music, just trying to get so, which is something I really learned in dance school. But then the other side of it, I think, is also very important, which, which I never saw in dance school, which is the idea of really this, yeah, what, we, what we just talked about, this open exchange, this open practice of you don't you don't have a class situation where there's one authority telling you, OK, we do this now for five minutes and this for three minutes and then two rounds of that and then we're finished, but you actually deciding I'm going to do pirouettes for two hours or I'm gonna do this until everything hurts, which also creates a certain variation. So there's not a lot of people who can do a lot of things reasonably well or very well, like to create this perfect dancer that can do everything, but create people that really can't do certain things, but are super well good and pushing the boundaries and expanding your mind in other things. And I think that's also very valuable. Hmm. Which is something that, I mean, Dylan, you you, and, uh, and the guys, you organized this space battle and space situation in this special week in Fontys. And I thought that was also super interesting. So there's not, for the kids that are just 18 or 19 getting into school, finding out that it's not just taking your classes and doing your repertoire, but it's also hanging around and dancing and exchanging in a more open format with people of your age and level or with a higher age or level or lower or different and i think it's quite important and nice that it's also slowly making its way making its way into the dance academies now
0: yeah no yeah. i think Fontys is good for that like they got jason um another irish guy um, yeah. to to organize that um and he like he'd been uh, kind of apprenticing with uh, in, with Dynamo and Drosha, with doing events and stuff, so Ulrike had asked him to do that, but that was cool because you had the mix of different years, you had some people who were, like, I was graduate and then you had some dancers just from Tilburg who are friends with dancers in the academy coming in, yeah. and it does just create that more um, circulation of, of just people, of little bit of community sense that the focus is more on dance then on yeah like you said just the academic norms
2: yeah it's quite nice
0: yeah I think it's really important like I try to teach that way rather than okay you have to do xyz correctly or whatever but like give a task give a base give a starting point and then like what do you want to do how do you want to flip this like what's important to you what are you interested in let's talk about this so I can help
1: with that
2: yeah yeah, it's, it, a, it's,
1: it's an, not the most common approach, I guess. I think it's an element which just isn't common in the, especially in the contemporary culture. And like, that's something more and more that I'm trying to, to work on improvisation, that uh, the hardest thing is actually to overcome, first of all, the judgment that you think you face from others and then also of yourself. So I think that these kind of exchanges really help with that so that you can work on that improvisation or or just letting go of other people's judgment
2: yeah i mean it's just super i think it's bigger than just contemporary dance culture or classical i think it's it's western culture which is so very much built on kind of class situations with set curriculums and this whole idea of community of each one teach one Mm -hmm. Um, it's not very common in western culture and i'm quite lucky to have experienced that from a young young age and and be able to move in that as well and yeah I'm not sure how to I mean also when you're going to a school for dance then I mean it already sets the frame you're going to a school so there's going to be class situations there's going to be teachers there's going to be hierarchy there's gonna, it's never going to be you and a bunch of other guys or girls the same age that come together because of a shared interest and mm. democratically decide to move in a certain direction um so i think it needs to exist alongside of that but i'm i'm not yeah and places like Hippopies, they're they're perfect for that because they're so laagdrempelig there's such a low like it literally costs 1 euro to to get in and to train for as long as you want so there's no there's no CrossFit class where you, oh yeah, I want to try it out. Okay, it's 18 euros and you need the prescribed leggings and, and you need to bring your own tea tree water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> the bar is just so low, which makes it for everyone. And it also makes it that you don't go there to show that you can afford it or to show that you have the right clothes or it doesn't make you feel like you made it. When you go to a place where you can look however you want, do whatever you want and dress whatever you want and you don't need it. So you're really just there to do the work, to, to train. And it's so, it's nice to see that there's, there's people who train to do battles or with a certain goal, but there's also a lot of people who just train there to train, Mm. which is almost, um, in my young student days, (laughs) I, 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 I got a little bit into meditation, so started reading about meditation and there's lots of different forms. There's people who use beads, who use mantras, who have imagined certain things, who have certain goals, who work towards something. And then there's Zen meditation. And there's literally there's no goal. There's no things that you do. Like it's all it's you you're just doing the thing that you do. So in a way, you're not cooking a meal to eat it, you're cooking a meal to cook a meal. Like the process is the goal. And it's it's so cool, it's nice to see that people, they're not there to achieve a certain thing or to work for something else or to earn money or to earn status or to get somewhere. They're just there to do what they do and be where they are. It's quite, uh, it's nice to see. And it's something that's very much missing, I think, in in Western culture. We're all, from a young age, you don't go to to tennis club to go to tennis club but you go to tennis club because you want to be fit or you want to be good or you want to be part of the tennis community or you want to be I don't know
0: yeah the interesting thing with going to jams is like if you it's the people who go to academies that struggle to step in Hmm. the most more than someone who walks in off the street who of course will be shy because they're looking at people but they have that desire to jump in but you can feel the academy kind of frame of learning or status or hierarchy or like goal orientation that completely blocks. Like it took me quite a while to be able to start going back to jams because like I used to jam a lot before I went to academy then when I was in academy the Tilbury jams hadn't really started up yet and I was in academy mode training by myself in a studio and everything and from graduating I started going more and more and now like, I miss the jams, that it becomes my, yeah, weekly thing, that it's important to me, and it's totally not about status, it, it just really is about people, community, saying hello to everybody, showing up because we all care,
1: like, about the same thing.
2: Yeah. You guys made a
1: piece about this um, idea, right? About um, the fact that trained dancers often have the hardest time letting go of movement.
2: Yeah yeah kind of that we made a piece um called ultra normal like ultra normal ultra normal um and it came from actually an installation that Thomas made a long time ago where he made a lot of untrained people dance to the song conga by Miami sound machine the... song <laughs> which he found was a perfect song to actually make people forget that somebody was watching or filming or and we invented it word or Thomas invented this word ultra normal where it's not normal is what the norm is what people think you should do and then before and then there's abnormal which is not fitting the norm but we thought okay if you have ultra normal let's say then that's transcending the norm (laughs) It's, I mean, it's just an, it's just an invention. It's just how how could you because when you're a kid, you don't move if you keep it to movement, you don't move according to the norm because you haven't learned how to dance or how to move or how to shake your ass. And then certain movements you learn and you can only apply like follow the norm or consciously ignore it. But how can you kind of transcend like dance? like you don't care even though you know the world is there caring or judging or watching. So we first we had this like short um, overview of as many different subcultures as we could think of. So I think the first six minutes was like 15 subcultures. So drum and bass, hardcore, old school hip hop, new school hip hop, classical dance and like some of the things we could do really well, some of the things we couldn't, some of the things they're really made to be shown on a stage, like classical dance, but something like drum and bass, it's completely not steps, it's not with a front, it's not projecting your energy towards the audience. I mean, we had, we had a mosh pit on stage even. <laughs> and then then from there, we started exploring how other people also transcended or came before this idea of normal. So we found this video of a little kid dancing to Get Low by Lil John. <laughs> and the kid, of course, didn't care what it looked like. So he was just kind of going for it. And then Thomas, in a similar costume, learned this whole dance, which took him weeks because it's not rhythmical. There's no step. <laughs> recognize there's no repetition it's just a mess it's just a three-year-old mess and we found this video of which a long time ago was quite famous this kid who really believes that he become he can become a super saiyan oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) so he's just in front of the computer go and it's it's very embarrassing to look at um, but it's also very beautiful because he really believes it and like that you, you start believing it a little bit because he believes it because it, it's not performative. It's not pretending. It's not acting. He really thinks if I do this for long enough, I will become a Super saiyan. And then we, yeah, we made this whole dance to it. It doesn't really translate well in audio, I guess <laughs> I have to see. But yeah, it was uh it was nice to do and and very interesting to also find cuz that's when we first found out that it's actually harder for us to dance ultra normal than it is for my dad. Mm. My dad never had dance training. He just doesn't care what it looks like and he just goes and moves and is ridiculous also because he's older, he doesn't he already has a wife and kids and a it doesn't there's nothing depending on him dancing well. It's not a mating dance or anything <laughs> it's not a mating dance It's not gonna make him rich It's not gonna make him lose his job he just dances because he that's the way he likes to dance so it was interesting to find out that it's actually harder for us who make our money by dancing who and who are trained as a dancer to move really like you want to move and not subconsciously still adhere to these principles of okay it should be clear and there should be a front and it should be cool and it should be sexy and there are steps that you should recognize mm-hmm. all these fine it's funny
0: yeah true well talking about how you like to move <laughs> do you want to tell us your task mr boss
2: yeah so i kind of have do i have two well there's one which is i teach quite a bit in uh, in Africa and Benin uh, and in Senegal. And there I had to speak French, which I don't. Um, and I thought of a thing called truc de jour, which was, which is also a way to get this idea of free practice um, into a class situation where they were just looking for me to say, okay, do this step, do that step. And I said, okay, every day I'm gonna show and explain a new trick. And in that time you can try this trick or the one from last week or your own trick um so this it's free practice time it's not in in a framework of five six seven eight and it's it's called turtle walk and it's break move that a lot of people do Uh, and actually i'll film myself showing it and do it doing it because maybe you want to put that online and it's also a little bit adapted to this maybe contemporary way of dancing, because all these contemporary dancers, we do know how to crawl like a cat on the floor. But then if you just reverse that and remove your legs, then you're doing turtle walk. So I'll move the camera a bit more. Um, so basically, if you do the turtle walk, you have your elbows here, um, close to your belly button and you use them to walk backwards. Uh, So you're going to start just like a cat crawling forwards which you automatically do in the right way which is my right knee almost touches my right elbow before I move it and I go to the next and then if you try to reverse that you have the left left elbow touching your left knee and then the leg moves, the leg moves, the leg moves and instead of just only walking you start putting those elbows close to your belly button. I'll put the camera a little bit up. So instead of just walking here, I put it here now, and I really land on it. I land on the other one, and the other one. And if you repeat that, and instead of really leaning on the legs, you lean on your belly button, but you still move those legs in the same way, you're gonna actually start walking like a turtle. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, great something that everyone can practice at home.
0: Yeah. Hayden's going to throw up a video of himself <laughs> yeah. doing a an nine
2: <laughs> And yeah. So it's not maybe the easiest movement task, but then I also thought of another thing, but that's actually something that makes more sense when you're with two or more people. You want that one as well?
0: Sure. It's not yeah. very corona handy, but let's uh,
2: <laughs> let's hear well, it anyway. You can you can make you can do a video version of that, of course. Okay, cool. Um, and it's I mean it's a very simple idea um, that we use in our first pay- piece. So instead of thinking of steps or using steps that you were taught, um, you actually just pick a piece of music that will loosen you up. You move to it. Um, you record it and then you use those movements as a teacher. And of course, it's gonna work better if you don't use all the training that you have in making long lines and being clear on beat and having a front, but it's really shaking, turning, screaming, la di la bobbing your head, and then videotaping that, trying to learn it and all its weird intricacies, because it's not gonna be a block of four times eight with a middle and an end, it's gonna be a mess because that's what you dance like under the shower or at a festival. Yeah. So you record that and then you learn that and then you learn, teach that to other people. Um, So you can actually make each other learn your unconscious choreography. Um, And we found that it, it actually amplifies the idea on stage, it amplifies the idea of letting go See so if you have just one person on stage, dancing without rhythm or structure, just going crazy. If you do exactly that in unison with more people, it makes it very abstract, but it also makes it very comprehensible for people. Like, oh, this is um, this amplification kind of makes the idea of letting go come across even stronger, which is very weird because it's definitely not loose and letting go anymore it's very controlled because it's very complicated steps so that's the second movement task idea five Wait. six seven eight <laughs> i i was always trained of course with five six seven eight and then there was this choreographer who was very unmusical who always said three two one go <laughs> and it, and it wasn't three two one go but it was Three two one go, one go.
1: Yeah.
2: there was no it's very <laughs> S- interesting. starting a race, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, if sorry well, he was fast, that's true,
1: cool, and do you have uh do you guys have any shows coming up this year, or has Corona just obliterated all the plans that you guys had?
2: Well, we were planning a big summer tour, and then afterwards we were planning the the um our biggest production ever <laughs> um and now we're working on a way to in some form, still tour this fall. So right now our management, our booking agency is talking with the theaters and saying, okay, what, what do you need from us? How much money do you have to spare? How much space do you have to give in order for us to still come and perform in a way that makes sense for all the parties involved? So hopefully we'll still have part of the tour going from the 10th of October till the end of December. Okay, cool. That's my hope. Yeah. And then before that, we'll probably get our motorcycles and drive to Sweden um, to, to get away from video calling for a while and actually get back into creative mode. Uh, nice. So that's kind of my plan for the coming months. Video call, drive away from all my problems, get back and make a new piece and then tour the piece.
0: It's a good plan. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for uh, for talking. It was very interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, let us know like when you do have shows coming up because, yeah, mm. like provided it's legal to go see them, um, I'll of course want to come and then we can share it with yeah our growing platform here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I also, also didn't get the opportunity to see any of your live work yet. Mm. So actually would love to come, come see a show. Sorry?
2: You saw the rain performance. The rain? I
1: don't know. Did I check that?
2: No, no. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, <laughs> where, where you performed on the same... Oh,
1: true. Yeah, yeah. In the outmarked.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> From yeah, the side D- stage. Dylan doesn't know the complete story. So I think it was like not more than two minutes or something. Like super short. One minute, 40 seconds, I think, was the maximum duration of any piece. Um, And then... You didn't get any fee. So we, we had to rehearse and perform and pay our own travel cost, everything. And it was a national television for millions of people. So we said, okay, fuck it, we'll do it. And we'll rehearse and we'll adapt stuff. And we'll try to make it happen on this weird stage, which was very wide and very shallow. Um, and yeah. then we arrived there and it was just raining like crazy. And so all the intranets, guys and girls, they went on their socks to not just slip right away but the socks filled up with water so we yeah. still ended up kind of ice skating but for all the stuff that we did we still needed shoes so we just made it like a sliding festival because people did belly flops and just we just did something and then yeah people,
1: was, people loved it though you guys i remember
2: yeah it was a very big well but the thing because we really like we worked for it and we really made there was even a live orchestra yeah, yeah. that that played, like we had to adapt our piece to another song that they could play live. So there was so much work going into it. And then we ended up just belly flopping for one minute and 40 seconds and just sliding into splits, um, actually taking like your shirt off because it doesn't matter anyway. And that was it. That's what a million and a half people thought. <laughs> <laughs> you showed them what they wanted to see <laughs> yeah the money shot
1: i remember we like in our in the internet side there was all this debate whether or not we were actually going to perform and in the end we were like fuck it we'll just go on like it was the de- the decision of the dancers in the end did yeah. you guys have that too or you just well you were always going to go on
2: yeah it, it was also our decision but we were always going to go like the guys they the production they didn't want us to go with the motorcycle on stage and like because it is quite da- also for you guys uh it's just dangerous yeah. if you slip and break your face but uh we just said fuck i mean we've been in <laughs> worse situations so we yeah we were always gonna do it they actually had to hold us back
1: <laughs> yeah but well, if you guys uh do go on tour then yeah i'd love to come check it out
2: yeah Definitely let you know. Cool.
1: Cool. Well, just again, thank you. And
0: thanks for everybody for tuning in. This is myself, Dylan, Hayden, and Eric signing off.